don't judge yourself too harshly that you don't know how to do this right. You don't have the tools yet. Once you have the tools, all you need is to combine those tools with love and you'll be able to connect with each other. Let me show you the tools. Welcome to Life, Love and Family. So how's the love between the two of you? Do you feel close? Has the distance grown? Perhaps it's not the way it's supposed to be. Today, we're talking about the love in your marriage. Welcome to Life, Love, and Family with Dr. Tim Clinton. Hi, I'm Bill Scott. Today is a must-listen-to program. Bill, about 40% of today's marriages are going to wind up in divorce. If you count couples who separate but don't divorce, but they never come back to the marriage, that percentage is going up. And let's go even deeper. Think about couples who are behind closed doors in the quiet corners of their hearts. They're wrestling with love gone bad. They just want somebody to love them, Bill. That's all they want. Today, we're going to talk about principles that are going to make your love in marriage work. Our special guests, Drs. John and Julie Gottman, co-founded the Gottman Institute in 1996 through the co-creators of the popular Art and Science of Love Weekend workshops for couples, which they teach in Seattle, and they've co-designed the National Clinical Training Program in the Gottman Couples Therapy, which they teach worldwide, by the way. In addition... They're involved in ongoing relationship research studies. Both doctors, John and Julie Gottman, have private practices near the Seattle area. Their style of presentation is clear, filled with humor and wisdom, and we have them today in the studio. John, Julie, thanks for stopping by Life, Love, and Family. We're happy to be here. Thank you so much, Tim. As we get started, it's got to be really tough to live out there in Seattle, but I guess somebody's got to do it, right? That's right. (laughs) We love it. (laughs) It's a beautiful day. Research, practice, all around couples, love, marriage. Can you guys just start us by helping us understand what led you to give your life's work to this? Maybe I can answer that, if it's okay with Julie. Uh, This began over 40 years ago. And my best friend, Bob Levinson, and I, he was best man at our wedding, 
we were having coffee once a week, and our relationships with women were not going very well. And we, you know, we were commiserating with one another, and we decided to team up and do some research and see if we could learn from the masters of relationship, you know, how they made it happen. That's how we began 41 years ago. And on my side, I was working with individuals uh, doing clinical work with severely traumatized folks mostly. And as John and I got together and I learned about his research, we were sitting out in a canoe one day and I said to him, honey, why don't we just use this work to help people rather than keeping it in the ivory tower? And at that point, we agreed to move forward and bring this work to the world as much as we could. It's certainly amazing to see what has happened out there from the Gottman Research Institute, and we salute you guys, and thank you for your contribution, I think, to all of us. Let's jump straight into the research and a lot of what you've learned. You guys talk about being able to predict divorce at about a 90% accuracy. That's serious. Can you lead us down that road? Sure. What you find is, you know, I know, you know, you start off by saying the divorce rate is over 40%, but that's really in in 40 years of a relationship. When you do a a research study and you have a couple of hundred couples in the lab and you're trying to predict over, say, a six-year period or three-year period, like only 17 of our newlywed couples got divorced out of 130 in six years and trying to predict which ones would which ones would stay together. That's really hard to do. And yet we're able to do it with over 90% accuracy. And we found we could do that in study after study in seven different studies, some lasting as long as 20 years. Can I add a little something to that, which is that the way that we did it is by videotaping couples as they were having a conflict discussion and also as they were having a how was your day, dear, discussion and analyzing not only what they were saying, how their faces looked, hundredth of a second by hundredth of a second, but also physiologically what was going on inside their bodies at the same time. That gave us the information we needed to make the predictions. Julie, what were some of the key predictors? Uh, well, key predictors were things like how much contempt did couples express? We call these the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Contempt, meaning looking down on the partner with disrespect and criticizing them. Then there was criticism, contempt, criticism, just laying the problem at the feet of our partner and saying our partner was bad in some way. Also, the response to that from the other partner, which was defensiveness, either counterattacking by blaming the partner for something else or whining that what they were saying wasn't true, those three. And then the fourth was what we saw in the physiology, and that was when one person apparently became very, very physiologically upset, went into fight or flight, had high pulse rates, they would shut down completely and become a stone wall with the other partner. They wouldn't respond at all to the other partner, which we called stonewalling. And that's a guy thing to do. 85% of our stonewallers are men. They just lock down. They just lock down. Exactly. And ordinarily, they'd walk out the door. So those were the four horsemen that predicted. 
So these are like negative communication patterns that begin to show up when the relationship's not the way it's supposed to be. When, let's say there's some disaffection going on. You just don't feel close and the spin has started and you're starting to feel distance between you. And what was interesting, I think, from what I learned from you all and see if I'm right on this, usually you began to participate in those negative communication patterns because you were trying not to hurt the other person. You're just trying to get them to what? Love you, right? Right, and listen to you. And so, you know, when the 10-pound cannonball doesn't work, you know, you call out the 25-pound cannonball (laughs) (laughs) and uh, fire it off at them. But, you know, really, when you point your finger at your partner and say you're the problem, that's criticism, then, you know, people just get defensive. They feel attacked. They feel belittled. And what the masters were doing was they were pointing their fingers at themselves, and they were saying, here's how I feel, and baby, here's what I need from you. And that's a whole different way of talking about something that upsets you. But it's hard to go there, John, when you're feeling belittled, disrespected, distance continues, there's no love, there's no deposits coming back your way. Mm-hmm. And your blood is rushing quickly in your ears. You can't hear anything. <laughs> yeah. Some talk about a pursuer distancer pattern, like one person pursues, one disengages. You know, when Julie and I were married early on, we got into trouble in our relationship. And I remember Julie was gone. She packed up everything, John, Julie. My Julie grew up in Montana, and she's 2,000 miles away from me. And I'll never forget a phone call that I made to her dad. It was just simply, could I talk to her again? And I remember her dad saying to me, Tim, listen. I don't know what's wrong between the two of you guys, but I don't think you're going to make it. And it was just total silence. And I said, Clay, I don't know what's going on, but I know this. I'd love to talk to her because I want to know that I love her and that I want to be with her. And I'm going to figure this thing out. And he just said, kind of tongue in cheek, I hope you do, son. Then he let me talk to her, you guys. And that began a change for Julie and I. Most everybody around us, I think, probably thinks we're dead or something, but it it was ugly. It was ugly early on in our relationship. We couldn't connect. That negative communication pattern stuff was all over us. Yeah. What do you do? What do you say to couples when they're in that kind of a free fall? Well, the first thing that you really have to do is to say, no wonder. Tell me, where did you take relationship 101? Where did you learn the skills? Who did you model after? You know, most of us, Tim, don't know how to communicate very well. This is a very critical culture, and we're always thinking about ways that uh, we should be better as opposed to really uh, seeing the good in each other. So the first thing to say is, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. Don't judge yourself too harshly that you don't know how to do this right. You don't have the tools yet. Once you have the tools, all you need is to combine those tools with love, and you'll be able to connect with each other. Let me show you the tools. You know, I resonate with that just for a moment because I I remember saying to myself, for some reason, Tim, she doesn't know. She's not getting it that you love her. You think you're doing everything in the world to let her know this, but that girl does not get this. She feels very unloved by you. Well, what did you figure out? How to get to her and make her know that you loved her? You know, John, what I did, I had to get out there. And for some reason, I I learned that 
she didn't feel very safe with me. She felt like I was always going to wound her for some reason. The more she would open up her heart to me, the more I would press in and try to separate her, say, from her mom or dad, because they seemed like they were the only people she had left where she could talk to them and she could feel vulnerable with them and that they would love her back. And here's this kid who thinks he's loving her and he's trying to get to her, yet there was just walls all over the place. And we just... We were screaming, love me, love me, love me, rejecting every attempt at being loved and then complained that nobody loved anybody in this relationship. Yeah. Hmm. So it sounds like you had to learn two things. You had to learn how to listen to your partner, really listen and take in what they were saying, maybe reflect some of that back, as well as receiving love, understanding how the other person was expressing it and receiving it, taking it into your heart. Is that right? Oh, absolutely, Julie. There's no doubt about it. You know what else, too? And let me throw this in. I'm going to throw some softballs your ways because you guys have done so much work and there's so much that helps couples. Explain the five-to-one ratio. It took me a while to understand that it took a lot of positives to counteract the negatives that were going on. It seemed like, well, when we're fighting, all we're doing is negative. Yeah, you know, let me say something about that because... You know, when we started doing this research, there was, there was a book that came out called The Intimate Enemy, uh, written by a guy named George Bach. And he said, you know, just air your resentments. Just tell your partner what you resent and take turns saying what you resent. And actually, what we discovered is that the masters of relationships are very gentle with each other. And there's humor and there's interest in one another. And you're right, even during conflict, that ratio was five to one, five times as many positives as negatives. So they were expressing interest and affection and humor and understanding and empathy. And they were doing that at a very high rate. In our apartment lab, when they weren't fighting, that ratio of positive to negative was 20 to one among the masters. For a relationship to really feel good, People have to be kind to each other and be affectionate. And if that doesn't happen, then it feels like you're living in a desert. It really does. I think there's no more finish of punishment in all the world than to be in a relationship with somebody who's supposed to love you, and they don't love you, or at least you don't feel like they love you. Exactly. Well, there's an important distinction you're making there, Tim, uh, which is they don't love you. No, it's you don't feel like they love you. You're not hearing it. So one of the things that's really important that we teach our couples is to express fondness and admiration of each other. It has to come out of the mouth. You can't just think it in your heart or feel it. You have to express it. You have to say it in words. You have to say it in touch to really communicate that you care, that you love your partner. You know the joke about the Swedish farmer who loved his wife so much that one day he almost told her? (laughs) (laughs) there's the message I'm liking that one (laughs) I love that you're listening to Life, Love and Family Dr. Tim Clinton is our host and of course Drs. John and Julie Gottman are with us just talking about your marriage and about your love and you know we're talking about all this that's going on in relationships at some point at least a lot of people and I know I've been there where you have to repair things right how does that work well There's a couple of different levels of repair. You know, one is as you are having the actual conversation and the conversation is going south, what do you do? Well, you can say things like this. You can say, 
honey, I'm feeling defensive right now. Can you say that in a different way? Or, you know, that felt like an insult. Could you put that into different words? Those are little repairs that one can make. And then in the big fights where it's really been awful, you both feel terrible at the end of it, what do you do then? Well, we actually have a particular tool that we call the recovery kit or the aftermath of a fight kit. And what we do there is we have couples get some distance from what happened, almost as if they're sitting in the balcony looking down on a stage where there are two actors that messed up, and they're describing what happened. There are always two perspectives in every regrettable incident. So we have people express the feelings they had during the regrettable incident. They explain their own perspective without blaming the other person, and they also take responsibility for how they contributed to that regrettable incident. Finally, they think about what can they do next time to make it better and avoid an incident like that happening again. That kind of processing is absolutely key to keeping the marriage on track rather than it sinking down beneath the weight of those regrettable incidents. But usually when we start going in that direction, the next thing you know, we're going right back at it again. We escalate really quick. We're going to fight again. And John, let me toss it back to you. I remember reading a little piece where I think you said this. Couples who actually fight well can love well. You don't have a problem with conflict. The issue isn't, are you going to mix it up a little bit? It's how you mix it up. Mm. That's a real issue, right? That's right. I mean, you know, we try to tell couples at our workshop to have more of an Italian view toward conflict. It just happens, you know. And then really the goal of talking about conflict constructively is to understand one another better and to be able to love one another better. If you stop, just as Julie said, you stop arguing for your point of view, both points of view are valid. Your goal is to understand your partner's point of view. And if your partner is doing the same thing with you, then you can really repair an emotional injury that happened in the past. If people don't repair it, it becomes kind of like a stone in your shoe that you keep walking on. And pretty soon you're limping. So repair is very important, and it's not really trying to avoid having conflict because it's inevitable we're going to hurt our partner's feelings just because we have two different minds in a relationship. I'm watching my daughter and my son. My daughter Megan is going to be married in December. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Yes, my son Zach's dating a little girl, and it's just funny. It's just funny to watch how tender they are with this boy and this girl in their life. When I look at marriage, I know that somewhere along the way, Julie, I became pretty insensitive to or not tender with my Julie. Now it's like I can't, you know, I just, I want to love over. I don't want her to hurt. But when we were in the midst of our pain, there was some insensitivity on my part. uh, There was a part of me didn't even really care. I wanted her to hurt almost. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. You can go to those places where you destroy emotional closeness with each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tim, I really appreciate your honesty because I think all of us have been there. You're just 
saying it out loud. Most of us don't confess things like that. But you're so right. I mean, there are times when, you know, that angry part of us gets so big and so intense that all we want is to hurt the other person rather than really listening and loving them. And, you know, one thing that we saw in the lab, Tim, is that when people got into that space, oftentimes they were flooded. They were physiologically flooded. They were in fight or flight. Their heart rates were beating at over 100 beats a minute, even if they were just sitting having a conversation. Those are the times when we need to take a break. We need to say, I'll be back in 20 minutes. Let me calm down. Let me see what's going on with me. I'll be back in 20 And then we go, we soothe ourselves, we calm down, and then return to the conversation from a different place where we feel more calm, we're not just perceiving attack and attacking back. Instead, we're able to hear what our partners are saying and express ourselves better without so much hurt. Yeah, once you're physiologically flooded, you have no access to your sense of humor. You know, you don't have any perspective. You can't hear very well. Literally, your hearing is compromised. Your peripheral vision is compromised. And all you wind up doing is repeating yourself. So you've got to calm down and self-soothe. Get to a place where you can really take in information and listen to your partner. I was watching a basketball game not long ago, and this one guy kept messing with the other guy. I mean, intentionally bugging him. You know, in the Bible, it says a contentious woman is like constant dripping. And sometimes when I'm in a workshop, you guys, I'll walk up to somebody and just start tapping them in the chest and keep doing it. If I'm teaching a class and it it makes you crazy, you know that it makes you insane. Yeah, I think that's a form of torture, right? Yes, it is. And like in this basketball game, he kept messing with this guy. There was a reason Mm. because he knew that guy would lose his head Uh and he'd take him out of the game. He wouldn't concentrate on his game. That's what you're talking about, right, John? Exactly, exactly, yeah. There's a lot of times when it's not that people don't want to be sensitive. It's that their bodies don't allow them to take in information. You feel so threatened and so attacked. You feel like you can't do anything right, and your partner's saying, you're the problem, and you know, and I'm perfect. You know? <laughs> and you just can't hear that, so... Your body just says, this isn't safe. Just like you said, Julie, at one point, didn't feel safe with you. The ability to accept influence from each other, that's a hallmark of a healthy relationship, right? It's tough to go there, though, isn't it, if you don't feel safe with somebody? Mm -hmm. That's what we found with couples where there was a lot of domestic violence. The real problem wasn't anger management. It was really that these violent guys that we studied weren't able to say anything to their partner in the middle of an argument like, that's a good point, or, you know, you're making total sense, or you're starting to convince me, or tell me more. Baby, if you hurt, the world stops and I listen. They weren't able to say anything like that. All they said was, no, you're wrong. You're not going to control me and manipulate me. And that was really a serious problem. Yeah, that's when I dig my heels in. I stonewall, say, "Uh uh-uh. Not here. I'm not doing this anymore. Right. John, I'm holding in my hands one of many of your books. It's a New York Times bestseller called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. John, I I wanted to ask you, just in all the work you've done, 
What's the one or two things as a final word here that you would say, Tim, this is the secret sauce for making love and marriage work? Well, if I had to pick one, Tim, it would be to honor your wife's dreams. And that means find out what her dreams are in life and find a way to honor those dreams. Any man who wants to be close to a woman now has to communicate that kind of honor and respect. And that takes a lot of knowledge of your partner. Julie, let me give you the final word. Okay. So John's coming at it from the male point of view. Let me talk about the female. Keep bringing up your own needs in the relationship, women out there, but don't do it with criticism. Don't describe your partner and all their inadequacies. Describe yourself. Describe how you miss your partner, how you need your partner, how your partner means everything to you. Reach out to them with words of love and appreciation, not criticism. However far away, I will always love you, however long I stay, I will always love you, whatever words I say, I will always love you, I will always so encouraged after hearing today's program and I don't know every time we have a program like this Dr. Tim I I think of a quote you often say if marriage has any value to God then all hell's going to come against it and perhaps people are listening today they haven't fought for their marriage in a while Bill again a guilt free drop all marriages are going to go through times of disaffection when it's not the way it's supposed to be when the distance is huge Mm. Problems aren't going to be the issue. It's what you do with those challenges, those issues in your life. I know this for Julie and I. God stepped in, you guys. He's the one who helped redeem the brokenness in our marriage. And I can tell you, she's my best friend. (laughs) The girl is awesome. And I can tell you, there isn't one relationship beyond the reach of God. Do they all work? We know that they don't. But I do believe this. God can redeem any relationship. If that's you today, just fix your eyes on him. Ask God to lead you and direct you each step of the way. To bring in your life everything necessary, every resource, every opportunity, every person necessary to bring healing to your life and to your marriage. So, Dr. Tim, are you crazy in love? Yeah, you know what, Bill? Yeah, I'm crazy in love with her. She's fun. We'd love to take the journey with you. If you just check out our website, lifeloveandfamily.net. That's lifeloveandfamily.net. A lot of resources. 
And there's one big resource that I just sort of want to make you aware because there's many of you, and perhaps you're a couple, and other couples come to you because you have figured it out. And you'd like to even go deeper and have more to offer. Light University is an online counseling course where you can attend school and learn and take classes that will make a difference in your life and those you meet with. Nearly 200,000 people, Bill, have enrolled in Light University's programs on biblical counseling, crisis response and trauma care, life coaching, and more. Great programs for people who feel called by God. So to get more information on Light University, here's what you do. You go to lifeloveandfamily.net. You'll see a big button right there with all the information you'll need. Lifeloveandfamily.net. Life, Love, and Family. America's number one Christian residential treatment program, Honey Lake Clinic, specializing in addiction, depression, anxiety, bipolar, PTSD, staffed by nationally recognized psychiatrists and psychologists, a team of MDs and 24-hour nursing care, a 600-acre scenic sanctuary of unmatched beauty, Honey Lake Clinic. Most insurance accepted, scholarships available. Phone 844-747-7772, online, honeylake.clinic. 